Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Um, I wanted to start off with a poem that's not my own poem because I actually like reading other people's poems better than I like reading my poems. Um, but I wanted to start with uh, this poem by Wallace Stevens called Domination of Black that I love. And it's like one of the first poems that I fell in love with. Um, and I think it, if, if it shares a similar spirit with my book, I would be very happy. Um, so I'm just going to read it. Domination of Black. At night, by the fire, the colors of the bushes and of the fallen leaves repeating themselves turned in the room, like the leaves themselves turning in the wind. Yes, but the color of the heavy hemlocks came striding, and I remembered the cry of the peacocks. The colors of their tails were like the leaves themselves turning in the wind, in the twilight wind. They swept over the room just as they flew from the boughs of the hemlocks down to the ground. I heard them cry, the peacocks. Was it a cry against the twilight or against the leaves themselves, turning in the wind, turning as the flames turned in the fire, turning as the tails of the peacocks turned in the loud fire, loud as the hemlocks full of the cry of the peacocks? Or was it a cry against the hemlocks? Out of the window... I saw how the planets gathered like the leaves themselves turning in the wind. I saw how the night came, came striding like the color of the heavy hemlocks. I felt afraid, and I remembered the cry of the peacocks. And if you've never heard a peacock cry, you should like Google it and look it up because it's actually really terrifying. So it's, uh, you feel like a peacock would be a happy bird, but it's really scary. Um, so as far as my own poems go, um, I'm going to start with some poems from Premonitions, which is my chat book. And there are copies here if you don't already have one. I know I like media blasted all of you about it. Um, so I'll read a couple poems from here. At the mouth of a river. After the baptism, we all went to eat cake in the basement of a building in a strange part of town. I couldn't stop thinking about the microbes. Do you know how many microbes are in each drop of river water, I asked. There are microbes that fall into rivers from space with the power to light up light bulbs. The cake on my plate was wearing its icing like a robe. Someone across the room was bowing his head, but if there was a prayer, I couldn't hear it. I had a mind full of the nearly immaterial. 
I wanted to bring the whole room to a river full of light bulbs bobbing up and down in the night, a liquid luminescent carpet, electric estuary fired by the inner workings of a thousand cells too small for the mortal eye to see, wriggling like children in the heat of August, while the, science who first, while the scientist who first fished these tiny living batteries out of the greenest places stands ecstatic on the shore, eyes closed, tiny hairs on his arms aglow, and the darkness will not overcome overcome it. This one's called Premonitions, which is the title of the chapbook. Premonitions. Once there were a thousand ways to know. The cows would shift their legs that certain way before a single storm cloud had blown in. The geese would huddle closer. They might begin to bite at one another's heads. Once there was a bell you could ring and its sound would go for miles into dark bedrooms reserved just for thinking the same thought over and over. Now there is no bell and all the cows are robots lying through their robot teeth about the sky. You've heard I'm keeping myself off bridges. I'm letting my digital display run the numbers down. I don't know how else to tell you about all this. There's a way the water will start shaking in the glass. There's a peculiar layer of dust settling over the nipples. Here's how you'll know when to stop. You'll hear a buzz. Then my heart will explode. And this one's called Until. It's not as though the cows were interested in coming home. We had promised each other for so many years that we would take turns and it would be all right. The mountains on the horizon were not going anywhere. For a moment there, I thought it was the cows come home to roost, but that's not it at all. Grass is plentiful, and the spotted animals with their velvet eyes can stay out in it until the autumn comes down hard and brown around them. We had promised each other time, and we meant it. It's just we didn't understand the way the climbing tires out the limbs, the way the trees around you really are on fire. The way the cows in the distance low and low and the rising smoke drifts up to shroud the moon as you turn to him and exclaim, Look, son, there's the thing of beauty we've been telling you about, and it's there, all right, impossibly glowing amidst all the crumbling hills, impossibly waiting its turn. Um, I actually really like writing poems about TV shows, which I guess sort of makes sense, considering <laughs> who I'm married to. Um, I am totally game for writing poem recaps of Halt and Catch Fire episodes, too. So just get ready, because that could happen. If you haven't already seen it, it's streaming on AMC. <laughs> June 1st. Um, anyway, while we were watching The Wire, which was like a couple years ago, I got really into writing poems about The Wire. So I wrote this sonnet on Frank Sabatka that is still one of my favorite poems, um, and it's called We Used to Make Shit. <laughs> we used to make shit. The docks will set the cold into your bones if you're not careful. Bundle up. Today's not even close to being over. Zone the cans, phone senators. It's every day, the grind, the wind, the power plays behind closed doors. You're Frank Sabatka. You've got this. You've learned how to disguise a heart that's lined with huge-ass pillows full of feathers. Kiss the bills that made you who you are. They taste like victory. A picture of those girls swims up before your eyes. An awful waste, but not your fault. You didn't know. Uncurl your fingers from around that box of glass. You've got this. You're Sabatka. Kick some ass. 
I like Frank Sabatka. <laughs> Um, totally different TV track. I also am a Top Chef junkie. Um, so I was writing poem recaps of Top Chef episodes for a while until my son got so insane that I could no longer even watch Top Chef. But hopefully that will change uh, next year. So these, I'm just going to read a couple of Top Chef poems that I like. Um, and they're just titled after whatever the title of the episode, which, which I had to like Google, like go on Bravo's website and find the episode title. Totally worth it. Jazz hands. <laughs> the sky outside is outside. We are passed from one hand to another like a ring taken off and fiddled with. Don't put us down anywhere to stay. If there is a throat, it is rising. We live and die as a group. We are tethered, cloves bound by thin, papery skin, a war whoop of drum sets. What comes next or comes after? Communion, the postlude playing us out to the hall with the tablecloths and folding chairs with all the little lined up paper plates. There's a lot of butter in these grits, a lot of grit in these muttered phrases sputtering out of horn ends like unending sacred prayers, liquid air and cadence. We are the hardest to get to the heart of. We are chili threads left on the counter. We are pickled vegetables, fillets cut too thin. We are held by many hands now. Orison, evergreen, tiramisu, offering. Take these ribs and make them sing. Campfires, cream cheese, and countryside. <laughs> I have taken a ride out to the edge of the city. I have allowed my skin to wane as thin as the skin of a Creole tomato. I have grown my hair out and begun jumping in pools with all my clothes on. And tonight, oh beautiful, imageless farmer, there will be campfires and gossip. There will be chilled soup like a mouthful of November. There will be a sweetness hanging around on the palate and not letting go. The produce on the vine grows locally as into the nerve of a tooth. It bleeds delicately robust. You cannot leave a lid on it and let it go. Lately, I have become aware of the invisible lives of people's griefs. I have tried to leave them room in the elevator. I have envisioned them running across the street like the cream runs down the Philadelphia hillsides into the short, divisible sky. What can you do when the joy giver bows and folds but pick up your broken blossoms and march on into the waiting clicks of colts and calves, carrying an ever-growing pot, growing ever heavier and heavier with silent spreading forever familiar ghosts? So that's TV. Um, this is my book. Please buy one if you haven't already. Uh, this is actually, I, I, had, I didn't have a copy before I got here. So I like went up to the desk and I was like, can I see my book? Um, anyway, the, the title poem, Nights I Let the Tiger Get You, just to give you a little background, because I know poetry is kind of weird. Um, poetry is weird because people think that you're always telling personal stories about your life, which is not always true. I mean, you write in, you know, your own persona. Um, and sometimes I write about things in poems that haven't actually happened to me. Um, but this book is really personal to me. The title poem is sort of based on a recurring dream I had when I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And I had this dream over and over that my brother and I 
were sitting out back in our childhood home and we were having a picnic um, and it was like, fun, you know, like, yay, picnic. Um, and then at some point in the dream, he would ask me to go get a sandwich or go get like a glass of lemonade or something. And so I would get up and I would go to the house and when I would come back out, he would be sitting there like with a little animal on the blanket. Like it could be like a little fawn or a kitten or a puppy. And like I would know something terrible was about to happen and I'd be yelling at him to, you know, stop, you know, come back inside and the animal would turn into a tiger and like pick him up in its jaws and run away. And then it was the literal dream thing where you can't like run after your brother. Um, and that would be the end of the dream. So, um, that's sort of what the title poem is about. And, uh, it has a lot of meaning for me, I guess, because, uh, you know, he's, uh, now as adults it's this weird like our lives have sort of paralleled this recurring dream which sounds really like weird and poety but um he's been in and out of jail for years and and it's just a weird um thing that i still think about sometimes so i'll read some selections of that and then i'll read some other things from the book and then we can all go eat dinner or be at home and it'll be fun <laughs> all right nights i let the tiger get you part two to the point where going back to sleep seems worthless. Information is encoded in the correlations between, between the object and the reflection, the ant walking back and forth across the tile in the bathroom stall, future and past. In it, I couldn't tell you when things start to go wrong. The sidewalk or the picnic blanket, the slow zoom on the fur that grows bigger and bigger across the screen of my eyelids. Okay. So I am dragging your body along behind me again. The way the bee keeps pollen on his legs, we're together, we're flying onto some other field of pistols. We have more than one shot. Your body bouncing across every dip in the land. So I am dragging your body along behind me, the loop around the eye. Some other field of pistols, the way the bee stings once and coughs up bee blood. We have more than one shot, though. We have all the time between future and past the joint in the sink, the wall's anticipation of the punch, the dip in the, the wall's anticipation, what will unfold, unfolding the shirt in the laundry room to see if the blood stains are gone yet, folding the shirt back up. What will unfold must be anticipated by some animate being, some tiger. References to metamorphosis in mammals are imprecise and only collo colloquial. The trajectory of one fork across the table, will it hit the eye? Will you stop sitting there like a full-on idiot, petting the fawn, its soft ears, like a full-on idiot, petting the imprecise fawn? Could you ask it to stop? Could you be any more helpless? This is not a condemnation of you. This is not a condemnation. What is it about the soul that will almost always, in the momentary pinch, choose its own life over? The lizard. The day after I was alone in the kitchen, the mailman dropped off the catalogs and it was me and the vacuums and the wet towels. There were so many ways to wring them out. For example, into those already ripples, their walls. Over the other ocean, a girl many years ago cried in a bathtub. The lizard that crawled through the ceiling fan swirled around her legs in bloody almost cubes. And if you touch me, do I not? And if we were together in the great big theater with the starfish and the guillotine, just look how clean this place is. 
let's go with, I'm going to skip around here. My memories of you are silent. This is, I sort of wrote this one um, after, well, I spent a summer in Morocco and um, there were a lot of weird images that stuck in my head, so this has something to do with those. In that country, there is a train that stops when it gets tired. It doesn't bother to read the signs. There is a man in my car who claims to be French but does not understand me when I ask, He shows me a picture of a man and points to himself, and the man in the picture has a different face. For weeks I have been woken up by dreams in which I open my mouth to speak and only then discover I am underwater. In the backseat of a cab I go through all the Arabic phrases I know in my head. How much is the bread and the sun is in the garden with the cow and I love, I am a woman. In the front seat it sounds like the cab driver is yelling at the man next to him. I think they are discussing the best streets to take. Meanwhile, under another country's ocean, certain Navy officers produce horrible noises to scare away the whales. The Navy needs this portion of the ocean to be devoid of whales so they can perform exercises. No one in the Navy bothers to learn the language of the whales. They think that if their noises are loud enough, the whales will get the gist. In the city, I meet another American woman. She says she is having a party in her apartment. When I get there, everyone is speaking English. We sit on a rug in the middle of the floor and she serves us hamburger helper. Everyone is talking very loudly and I do not have anything to say to any of them. In the middle of a bite of artificially colored pasta, I look up and see you looking at me. You glance at your plate and then back at me and you roll your eyes. We do not speak a word out loud. I swim up through the surface of the water and take a deep breath. I hope the whales are still living in that ocean, saying to each other, what was all that noise about? Uh, this is another part of Nights I Let the Tiger Get You. One of these nights the tiger will head up in the elevator. I know it. I worry about whether he will pop the mylar balloons on his way to the body. I wonder whether he will get parking validation. There's been an evolution, an era, such a lot of physical space between the future and the present, between the time when I could drag you behind me and the time your wrists got so much larger, between the time I left you for the tiger and the afternoon I went out to identify the twisted piece of metal, to see the steering wheel meet the driver's seat, catalog it. A signature on a bold black line seems so much scarier than that black hole. The phone at the end of the bed may die in the presence of oxygen, the body being dragged along the sidewalk just trying to trigger anaerobic metabolism, so why is my hand empty? Voice on the end of the end of the end of one eye of a whirlpool, one eye of a hubcap, you take a breath and it's over, you have a picnic and the tiger's ready. More stepping across cracks, the fist in the apple pie, Years and years of three-leaf clovers, the taste in the mouth that rises like a runaway hot air balloon, like a single man in an empty stadium. If the single man were your mother and your mother were, cross it off, a grand facade, a cafeteria run, a contact with plaster, I am attached to my hand. I am attached to my hand and my hand is attached to my arm and my elbow and so on, up through my neck and my eyes. When I said the fist, I meant my own. I piece together the joints of me and brace it all for the moment the speedometer stops. Spare us our night sweats, O oh Lord. 
Spare us our anguish, our waking futilities. Spare us our appetites, our smoking guns. Spare the tiger, he's worn out from last time. He'd like to sleep in today. I walk my body through the rooms, through the rooms and rooms that empty out into that pewed space. I kneel. When I close my eyes, there she is, under the fake palm leaves, holding her purple thumb high in the air. I open my eyes and see the man with holes in his sides. I close my eyes. There she is. I open my eyes. Turn right, turn left, turn right. You cannot change the outcome. Your body is made of such heavy stuff. For compilation album by rock group Crowded House, see Recurring Dream album. (laughs) I have not been seeing myself naked. When I get into bed, I put on a shirt. Neil Finn would like to accompany your slow offstage demise. Um, just a couple more. This one's called More Details Emerge. Maybe you're supposed to give some sort of ghost tour. Maybe you're tasked with taking people through the streets and making up stories about dead apothecaries and mourning wives. When the feeling gets to your hand on the doorknob, you know you're going to open it now, no matter what. I want to be alone and quiet, but there's always some new axe cutting through the unfinished side of my house. There's always someone I have to be accountable to, standing there with an empty pillowcase, whispering, fill it up. And my hands are empty, and the glass bowl in front of me is empty, and I keep showing them that, but they seem to think I'm made of individually wrapped candies. Please walk slowly up to the lens until you're almost in focus. Place the yellow light on top of the ceiling fan and step away. Please look in the mirror for me and tell me what I should be seeing. What is women's writing, anyway? Sometimes I think about how broken my body is. I think maybe the only thing that understands how I see the fragments of myself is Peyton Manning's neck, refused and covered in question mark scars. Maybe you're supposed to tell the tourists to stay home tonight, to wait for Halloween. I'm always opening the door to the same threat over and over, and every time it looks like love. All right, and let's um, let's do like two more. This one's called "And Many More." You said it's you and me against the world, kid, and the curtains in your room were still. We were in your bed. We were in something we had made with our own hands and tongues and stubborn glue sticks. The wrapping paper we'd put on the walls yelped, Happy Birthday! And the cakes raised their candles, and everywhere surfaces were metallic. They reflected the still things in front of them. When I raised my hand up, it came back at me covered in icing. The door of your room was still shut. I thought someone outside was asking for you. But it wouldn't let up that crumbled sound those tines waiting for you to open wide. As if to say, holding up traffic as if to say, darling, I miss you. The the cars chewing gas, jostling the people inside them. The chickens that have been waiting on the sidewalks take this opportunity. Nobody honks. They can see how serious I am. Except it wasn't traffic. A bank. Holding up a bank as if to say, darling, I miss you. And the bank employees trembling behind their name tags. The people in line wonder if their transactions can be completed now before their lunch hour ends. No one shouts. They can see how serious I am. I'm sorry. It wasn't a bank. No. My clothes. Holding up my clothes, naked, on your front porch. It's night and your door is closed. Darling, I miss you.
They're falling for you. Thanks. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon. <laughs>